Welcome to the Wright Family Law Divorce Podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Wright, attorney, author, entrepreneur, and motivational speaker. This is the Wright Family Law Divorce Podcast. Let's get started. Welcome to episode 16 of the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast. Today we have Sheree Albers from the Virginia Family Law Center, who is a family law attorney like me. Um, and we actually met on TikTok doing um, promo videos for each of our practices. And we got to be friends and she's on today to talk to us about parenting time disputes in family court. And she's going to be bringing sort of a different perspective than what I bring to the table a lot of the time. So I'm super excited to have her on. She's super knowledgeable and Virginia loves her. Sheree, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Ellen. I'm happy to be here. All right, let's talk about um, parenting time and what it means in the context of family law. I don't know if you saw this, Sheree, but I I posted a, a reel on uh, Facebook and it was a video on TikTok and it went semi-viral and people yeah. were um, going crazy about um, parenting time versus visitation, right? Like the yeah. language. So here in Massachusetts, we really don't use the word visitation anymore. It's just not a thing. We use parenting time. It's sort of like the new way. And a bunch of people in like Texas and just in like some of the like Midwest and Western states like went crazy. They're like, no, you know, if my ex only sees the child on the weekend, it's visitation. If you, know, you have to be a parent to actually have parenting time. And it was just crazy. Like, of course, like almost half yeah. views on the video. So what's the take in Virginia? Like parenting time, visitation. What do you guys use in terms of like lingo? Yeah. You will still hear visitation pretty frequently in Virginia courts. I, the parenting time is more catching on now. I tend to use parenting time more because here in Virginia, we, at least in Northern Virginia, they prioritize two parents being involved. So we like to call it parenting time still, but you will still find family law attorneys in my area say visitation, or you will still hear judges say visitation. So it's like, I guess it's like a trickle down. It's coming down from you guys in Massachusetts to our southern states and in Virginia. Interesting. Yeah, it is. It's it's funny the way terminology sort of changes over yep. time. Um, so in your practice, what do you see as the most common issues or disputes that you encounter with parenting time? Ooh, it's always the amount of days. Because here in Virginia, the amount of days you have your kids impacts the amount of child support. I don't know if it's the same where you are in Massachusetts, Ellen, but some pick over certain overnight, like, cause you need a certain amount of days to get to a, you know, reduce your child support. So half the mentality of people are, how can I get the most amount of days to pay the less amount of child support? Other, they're focused on, well, I've been primarily caring for this child. So I want to ensure a schedule that's best for them. So I have people come in with two different mindsets. So I don't know if you have that trend up there or if you have the amount of days that you have parenting time, like overnights and 24 hours or key for right. dictating child support. I don't know if you have that too up in Massachusetts. Yeah, we look at like, you know, the parenting time definitely drives um, those child support guidelines. There's no question about it, you know. Okay. But we look at sort of like a, a one third to a two third split. Like if it's close to 50-50, there's mm -hmm. not much child support, if at all. Um, but, you know, in terms of like um, 
dissecting hours and overnights. I mean, if it's close to a 50-50, I mean, you know, they'll sort of like let it slide. It's when it starts to become really grossly disproportionate. You know, you go 60, 70, you know what I mean? So we don't really dissect the overnights and the hours so much, but we look at sort of Mm -hmm. like the grand sort of overview. And you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We we nitpick. (laughs) Because our magic number is 90 days. If it's 90 days or less on one guideline, if Uh you get 91 days or more, and the more amount of time you get, the more that child support drops. Right. So there's a lot of nitpicking. Yeah. I mean, when it works, when a 50-50 works, it works. When it doesn't, it doesn't. For me, a lot of the times I find people want a 50-50, but as a practical matter with like work schedules and travel, Mm -hmm. school schedules, it just doesn't work. And it's a lot like sticking a square peg into a round hole. And I have a lot of clients um, who get upset when it's like, all right, well, my ex left the kids with the girlfriend or the grandparents. Well, we got to work. And, you know, I mean, from where I sit, I think there's two schools of thought on that, right? Like what you do Mm -hmm. during your parenting time is your business. Okay, Mm -hmm. fine. But then, you know, a lot of agreements have a first right of refusal written in there. That a lot as well, you know, and and it's hard for a parent who really does want to spend time with their kids to watch their ex just sort of like leave them with the grandparents, leave them Mm -hmm. painful and hard. You know, I mean, I, I get it. That is actually, those are actually common themes here in Virginia as well. And you will have different judges. So it's always, I'd say like the custody schedule. So like physical custody where the kids are, it's not a one size fit all kind of solution. Cause I say each family is, you know, different. They have different needs. Their kids need different things. So not always the 50 50 doesn't always work, especially if you consider the age of the child, you know, like babies. If they're breastfeeding, what kind of schedule do we do for that? But Virginia does support two actively involved parents, but that's not always a 50-50 shared physical custody, at least here. Yeah, I mean, in Massachusetts, mothers have statutory legal and physical custody unless there's a court order otherwise. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So it's not just assumed. Um, And there's actually a case in the appeals court here, and I think it's going to be going up to the SJC. The challenge, but right now, you know, for people, it is frustrating because, you know, maybe you have a boyfriend or girlfriend and they cohabitate as if, you know, for as if they're husband and wife. And, you know, the boyfriend just sort of goes along, you know, as a husband might and just sort of like Mm -hmm. assumes it's a family situation and they just go on to get along. And then the, you know, they break up. Someone has to move out. And it's like, you don't have husband status. You are the boyfriend. Yeah. Rights, you have to go to court and ask the judge to enforce them for you. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I mean, I think sometimes men are a little gun shy. You know, they sort of like defer to the woman. It's like, she's the mother. I'm not going to really like tinker with that. And then it's sort of like sticker shock. Like, oh my gosh, like I, you know, I, I don't have the control that I sort of thought I did by just, you know, acquiescing and going along. So yeah. So that's not the case in Virginia. No, we have. So Back in the olden days, I'm going to say back in the older days, there used to be a preference for mom. But now here, parents start at equal footing. Yeah. And then they look at what's called best interest of the child test, which looks at factors, one of which is who was a primary caregiver. But there isn't there isn't a preference for mom or dad in in, in Virginia. Interesting. Yeah. 
I mean, we have the best interests of the child standard here, as a lot of other states do. I mean, most of them, I think. The reality is, you know, in a lot of cases, mother is the primary caretaker. I'd say still probably in most cases. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean dad shouldn't should play second fiddle and shouldn't have a fair bite at the apple. Right. You know, it, it, and again, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes what people want and what they think is going to work isn't going to work. You know, sort of like trial and error, you know? Mm-hmm. I agree with that. So in your view, in Virginia, are there any sort of common misconceptions that parents have about how the court views and awards parenting time? Like, I see a lot of these dads on TikTok, right? And they're like, yeah. Oh, you know, the judges love the mothers. All the lawyers love the mothers. It's all about the mothers. The mothers get everything. And the father's rights groups in this country, I think, really are zealous advocates for themselves. Yeah. Almost to a fault. But what do you think? See, I I don't think there is a preference, really. I still don't think there is. There used to be. But in recent time, there isn't a preference over dad or mom. It's really looking underneath the hood of who does have these kids' best interests at heart, who is caring for these kids, what kind of schedule would work for these kids, and not mom versus dad necessarily. And I think that speaks a lot because, honestly, I have equal in my clients are pretty equal, men and women. I don't even have a preference whether it's mom or dad. The kids are really what matter to me. It's like, I look at who I think will be the best parent. If someone comes into my office and is not there for the right reasons, I won't take that client because I'm not going to represent what I don't think is best for the child. So that's my outlook. Yeah, I'm the same way. I pick and choose my clients carefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you, they're going to try to use the children as like leverage, like the house, the book, yeah. you know, I don't play that game. There's plenty of other lawyers to, that do that. I'm not mm-hmm. one. Yeah. So in, in Virginia, how can a parent best prepare to present their case for more parenting time or a specific schedule? Like what are some like yeah. do's and don'ts? So if you're first separating, it depends. So like Virginia allows people to be separated, if, if you're married, to be separated under the same roof. Okay, you can be separated in the same home. But you still, this still, this is like a little predicate. You still want to start putting in place a schedule that you want in court. So you start saying like, if you want alternating weekends, you say, okay, dad or mom, you take Friday through Sunday every other week. But start setting up a schedule that you want to put in place because the longer it goes, the judge is less likely to disrupt that. At the same time, you want to document. You want to put in text messages, put in emails about this is the kind of schedule we're having. And then also you want to encourage that parent to spend time. So you're kind of like tiptoeing and doing a balancing act of encouraging their involvement, but also setting up a schedule you want. Right, right. Do do you guys use like nesting arrangements? Have We have. Is that pretty common? No, it's still rare. Still rare. Yeah. I've had a few cases with these nesting arrangements. So for listeners who don't know what a nesting arrangement is, Mm -hmm. sometimes you have a divorcing couple and the kids are living in the house. So they want to keep the kids in there, but share parenting time, but yet sort of still live separately. So maybe someone will be in an apartment. And then if they want to come parent the kids and live in the house, the other spouse will leave for a time. And then they sort of like home share and parenting time share in that way. So sort of someone keeps the quote unquote nest while the other one leaves and then they come back and sort of rotate a schedule. Um, 
there's they can be it sounds fun in theory, but yeah. there's certain like problems with it. I don't know. Somehow, um in the in the cases that I've had with nesting agreements, there a dispute always somehow surfaces in one form or another. But they are becoming more popular. It is sort of more of a thing now than it used to be. I've only had a couple, and the ones I did see actually did work, but you have to have a really good communication. Right. You have to be able to work that out. And and I see why some of them do it, because they say stability, and then our child isn't the one having to come and go. It's the parents having to come and go. Because that's some, that's some common thing I hear frequently from parents is like with the shared arrangement that you're talking about, the equal time is sometimes the child feels like they don't have a home if they're constantly bouncing around. Right. Right. Yeah, that's common. I love that. Like those five, two, two, five or like a five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's hard. Like these kids, sometimes they feel like they're living out of a suitcase and that can be really hard. Yeah, no question. So let's talk about like parental fitness for a minute, because this is another mm-hmm. common theme that surfaces in parenting time disputes. Right. Well, my yep. dad isn't fit, you know. He smokes marijuana or, you know, he doesn't have suitable sleeping arrangements for the child. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of fighting in the house with the grandparents. So how does the court handle situations where one parent alleges that the other parent is unfit for, like, parenting time? Well, that one parent making the allegations of unfitness is the one who has to prove it whether that's through witnesses testifying that dad's doing marijuana or doing inappropriate things in the home or mom doing that in the home. The other route we have is we have a a motion here. You request the court to do a custody evaluation. So we could ask for a psychological evaluation and have the custody examined. So people do get mentally examined and they do, you know, provide that information to the judge. But you have to ask for that. What those psychological evaluations. Yeah. So um, those aren't, aren't cheap. I mean, if the court were to order a psychological evaluation, who pays for that? Oh, usually the judge says, if you ask for it, you're the one paying for it. Sometimes okay. they split it. But you're right. They're thousands of dollars. Right. Thousands. Yeah. Other ways are, I mean, if there's like abuse issues and there's a protective order out there, you can do, you can file with the court asking for supervised visitation. So that's like a different realm. You could always get child protective services involved, but you really need to back up what you're claiming some way or the other, whether you're asking the court to get involved, an agency to get involved, or someone to testify to that. And as to your question about like suitable living arrangements, we just want to make sure like I have people concerned about this who, you know, like that there's financial difference, disparity between the parents. And they're like, well, this one has like this nice, huge house. I have a one bedroom. Well, as long as you provide a bed for that child to sleep on and maybe you sleep on the pullout sofa, mm-hmm. that's all the care court cares about. They have their their individual space, right. not that they have to have their own bedroom that's decked out to the nines. You know, it's not about that here in Virginia. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the housing crisis looks like there right here. It's it's pretty dire. You know, it's really hard for people to find an apartment. I mean, real estate is just sky high. So yeah, suitable sleeping arrangements, you know, it, it does become a problem, especially when you have um, multiple kids. Right. If they're bright both boys or both girls, they could share a bedroom. But, you know, if you have two different sexes, the courts really don't want to see them 
sharing a bedroom. I mean, it's probably okay when oh. they're little, but as they get older, the general thought is that it's inappropriate. When they approach, you know, teens and adolescents, they need to have their own separate space. So that presents challenges a lot of families in terms of, you know, getting sort of like this, this close quarters that um, are appropriate. I did have one client probably a year and a half ago who who had trouble with this, right? Because when people are on a budget, I mean, apartments can be over $2,000, $2,500 a month for like yeah. three bedroom. And what he did was he was living with um, his girlfriend and his girlfriend had a daughter and he had a son and they shared a bedroom, but what they had was like a room divider, like okay. with, like partitions that went through to mm-hmm. see like, they, so they were sharing the room, but like the space was divided. I mean, it wasn't ideal, but it was okay, you know? Yeah. So was that okay Okay with the court? Did they have like their own privacy with that divider? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's fine. I mean, it flew. I mean, it, you know. Okay. Again, yeah. not ideal, but it worked, you know? I mean, under the circumstances, sometimes you have to just sort of roll with it, you know? I mean, well, yeah. there, there weren't any allegations of any any inappropriate behavior. So, I mean, you know, and the kids really did coexist as if brother and sister, they were close in age. So, I, I mean, it went, it was fine, but again, not ideal. Yeah. Um, interesting difference between the states, huh? <laughs> yeah. So... Let's talk about relocation and parenting. Mm-hmm. That is a, a hot button. I've been getting a lot of questions in on Facebook yeah. about relocation. When can I move? He won't let me move. She won't let me move. What What's the standard? So we have like our code requires 30 days notice of your intent to relocate and where you intend to move. Mm-hmm. All right. So it's an even bigger battle here in Virginia. Because not only do you, so you have to make the request that you want to move. The other parent can challenge that. Okay. And if it's challenged, the judge is going to look at, all right, can, if they move, can that parent, the non-custodial parent who's staying behind, can they maintain that relationship with their child, even though they move? And you also have to see how the move is beneficial to that child, not just the custodial parent that's moving. Right. You need to meet all of those on top of the best interest of child test. So here it's really hard unless your ex does agree that you can move. So it is a difficult battle here. I have been on the side of preventing the move and have been very successful at that. So most times I have the parties, if, if they do relocate, it's more of on we've discussed and agreed we can. And this will be the new schedule. Right. Yeah. How is it in Massachusetts for you? Well, yeah, it's it's somewhat similar. So on top of the best interest standard, we have what's called the real advantage test. So the parent has to show that it's not just, you know, good for the child, but there's a real advantage to the parent's move. They have to show that they have, first of all, a good and sincere reason for moving. They can't just do it because they want to deny or find a creative way to deny the other parent parenting time. So like maybe, you know, they're, they're getting married and their spouse lives over the border and, you know, or maybe there's a great work opportunity where they're going to be making more money, a better standard of living. You know, maybe there's housing up north. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, the person is indigent or is struggling financially and they have a family network of support over the border and they need to go. 
So in we are sort of like right up on the New Hampshire line. We are like north of Boston. So New okay. Hampshire is about 25 minutes where we're at. So a lot of people, you know, want to move to New Hampshire. And as a practical matter, New Hampshire isn't that far as opposed to like the middle of the state, right? Which could be, an mm-hmm. hour, you know, two hours away, down Cape Cod or wherever. But but people don't always understand that if even if you, you're just moving 25 minutes north to New Hampshire, it's still a change in jurisdiction. You're basically giving the reins to New Hampshire and the laws are similar in a lot of ways, but very different in other ways. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's not really that easy. You know, sometimes I tell people, you know, listen, maybe you can strike a deal with your ex, you know, a quid pro quo somehow, you know, and see if they'll agree to let you go. It's, it's sometimes easier and more cost effective to strike a bargain rather than duke get out litigating in court. Because removal cases, judges hate them, lawyers hate them. They pull your heartstrings. They're mm-hmm. super expensive, very labor intensive. Nope. And they're, they're not fun. I agree with you 100% on that. Yeah. Yeah. So in Virginia, how do people modify the existing custody plan or a parenting time arrangement? How is that accomplished? So we have a two-pronged test here in Virginia. It's first, a material change in circumstances has to have occurred after entry of the order. And then you go to the second prong is best interest of the child test. So you have to first meet a material change. So here in Virginia, that's something like, you know, there is that move, whether it's different counties. So Northern Virginia is built up of many counties. And as far as, you know, as close as we are, if you move from Fairfax County to, say, Loudoun County, that adds a bunch of time. It could be 10 miles down the road. It could be right. a 45-minute drive. Right. Northern Virginia's like that. But So a move? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a move is anything like big that has happened. Or, you know, maybe the ex now has a new significant other that's now living in the home. Something big has had to change to even open up the door to say, I want a modification. Let's get a new schedule going. Because if you don't meet that, a judge can deny you saying, I don't find a change, so I'm not even going to look at if it's best for the child. How about up where you are? Yeah, it's the same thing. They file a complaint for modification or maybe both parties agree that there is a change and they both agree to change the judgment. So they file a joint petition for modification. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's basically the same thing. You know, there's been a material change in circumstances. What's changed? What do you need the court to do? I mean, it's basically how it sort of rolls out. But uh, yeah, if there hasn't been a change in circumstances, you know, I mean, people have to sort of live with what they've got, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, they don't understand that completely. But yeah. Now, let me ask you, when parties disregard parenting time orders in Virginia, you've got an order mm-hmm. or judgment, it gives you a schedule, and someone's not following it, what's the mechanism to deal with that? So we have contempt proceedings called a rule to show cause. Mm-hmm. So it, it's essentially saying you're, you have an order and you're asking the court to enforce that order. So that's how we do that. And that's really when someone's usually like removing time, it's hard to force a parent to actually take that time. So yeah, you know, it depends on what end of the spectrum you're on. Mm -hmm. You can file a rule to show cause to say they're not taking their time with the children. And that can open the door, interestingly, to the modification. Right. Well, it's usually the other end saying they're not following the order. Your Honor, make them follow the order. So it's called a rule to show cause here in Virginia. 
And do people usually get, what do they get for uh, sanctions? Like extra makeup time, attorney's fees, what? Usually attorney's fees, like the attorney's fees that were incurred in having to pursue the litigation. Downtimes, makeup time, but the judges, it's, it's not as easy with custody and visitation as it is like if you're arguing over you haven't paid child support you know for child support it's more like you get a back pay and six percent interest tacked on for custody it's you maybe you lost out on that time and you don't get that back and you're more forcing that person to follow the agreement pay the attorney's fees i guess the big point would be that would allow you to open the door to change the custody if something like that's happening Mm -hmm. In Massachusetts, uh, what we have is the complaint for contempt okay. equivalent, but we really don't see people filing complaints for contempt when people don't exercise their parenting time. If they don't exercise it, they don't exercise it. I mean, the judges can't force them. But what I tell people is if the other parent's not exercising their parenting time and that's more of a parenting burden on you, that is a reason to ask the court to deviate upward in child support and the doctor. Mm-hmm. We update our guidelines every four years here, and there's going to be coming down the pike pretty soon, but they're pretty stiff. The 2021 guidelines that went into effect, I mean, they're expensive for payors. Mm. And and with the inflation, I mean, it's just, you know, it's crazy anyway. So they were expensive then. Now it's just, it's, it's, it's tough. People really do struggle. But be that as it may, it is a reason for a court to deviate upward if someone's not exercising their parenting time. You know, do you have that? Yep. We do. Yeah. Be like, we have a guideline amount and then here's our reasons to deviate. And that is one, two. You're right. That's the same here. Abuse and neglect during people's parenting times. You know, if dad isn't sending the child to school with a snack and showered, you know, mom is leaving the child unattended while she goes to the boyfriend's house or to go grocery shopping or whatever the case may be. How is that dealt with? I mean, when we're talking about the serious stuff, and this sort of goes back to what we were talking about. It can be hard to prove. But where does that fitness bar sort of lie, right? Where it's like. Yeah. Yeah. So here, like, it, that's what I would tell my client. If they said, like, I suspect this abuse is going on. You don't have to allow that parent to have that time because you're making a reasonable parenting decision to keep them safe. Right. And you can file an emergency motion here. Because if the safety and well-being of a child's in jeopardy, you can file an emergency to get the arrangement changed until a final hearing is is held. But you're going to still want to try to collect evidence, call Child Protective Services to get them involved, call the cops to get them involved as well. But yeah, you can make a decision. No, I'm not sending my child to mom's house or dad's house because I believe this abuse is happening. You can do that. How about up there? Yeah, I mean, you can do the same thing. I mean, you can withhold the parenting time, but if you do that, you better be filing your complaint for modification pretty quickly or the other parent yeah. file a contempt against you or the sh- the rule to show cause, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true. That's why it's always big about proving your case. So you need to start lining that up. But you also don't want to, so we're balancing it all on like, you don't want to send a child to an unsafe environment. No, no, you don't. So that's a good reason of why you're not following an order. You know, that's the contempt here is like, 
proving why you tried to follow it or tell me why you did not or were unable to. So one would be, I believe they're in an unsafe environment, but you need to back that up. Right, right. Now, what do you think about constructive ways for parents to minimize the negative effects of parenting time disputes on their children? Oh my goodness, don't use those kids as a middle. Sometimes they go, well, ask your mom or ask your dad. And it's like, don't use your kids as a go-between. Don't speak negatively. You may be very mad at your ex, but don't speak negatively about that ex to your child because that's their parent, you know? So try to keep the kids as uninvolved as possible. Try to only say positive things about the parent, even though you're frustrated. Because still remember, that's their mom or dad you're talking about. Just don't use them as pawns. Don't use them as go-betweens. Right. Try to keep it civil, at least for them. And you can complain about the other parent to your friends. or You know, don't put it in writing. (laughs) Don't put it in writing, but you can vent to your mom or your dad about it. What about alternative dispute resolution in terms of time? modifications and disputes. What what do you see as common in your practice with ADR? Yeah, so we have that here too. We we have, I don't do these services, but we have the collaborative law. So like an attorney will do a settlement conference with the parties and try to resolve or a mediator will do that as well to try to sit them down to get an agreement. I think it's a good idea to try to resolve, have those discussions. You know, I would say, Consult with an attorney to learn what your rights are mm-hmm. and set up a time to attend mediation because right. mediation, they're not going to tell you your rights. They're trying to get you to resolve. Right. So that's what I would say to do, because if you have kids, it's better to try to reach an agreement because that impacts your co-parenting down the line. And if you can settle, it saves you money. Right. So I, I, I think it's a good first step. Now, is mediation required in Virginia? In juvenile, so our lower court is juvenile and domestic relations court. So if you aren't married and you have kids or you can't file for divorce yet, you file in juvenile and domestic relations court. They require mediation. A court ordered mediation and it's a service provided there, but not in circuit court where you can file for divorce. It's not required there. Interesting. Yeah. How about you guys? Well, New Hampshire does. But we, Massachusetts does not. We have what's called the conciliation program. In a lot of cases, okay. sent out for conciliation. It's run by the bar associations, uh-huh. and volunteer lawyers who do it. And they'll sit down with the parties and attorneys and try to settle the case that way. And it's got a very good success rate. I mean, I think at last it was 65, 70% of the cases that are sent out for conciliation will, wow. or at least the issues are reduced so that when it goes to for trial, it's not the whole enchilada. You know what I mean? That's good. Um, so that that helps a lot. It helps keep the pipelines clear at the court. You know, like the clerks love it. The judges love it. Um, mm-hmm. so it is good. But like I say, mediation itself is not required. But, you know, we try to encourage people to, you know, try to put your acts aside. Okay. Focus in on the best interests of the kids. You know, this parent. You know, like them, love them, hate them, everything in between. You are in this for the long haul with them, all right? If the kids are young, you're looking at 15 to 18 years. So strap in, you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. I I, I give it to them straight. That's, I mean, you're being truthful. 
I mean, that's 100 percent true. Yeah. But no, mediation is great. I mean, we encourage it. Yeah, in our state, in order to mediate, you do have to take a 40-hour mediation training and get certified. So not every attorney is certified in mediation. But like I say, you know, in a lot of cases, it's successful. So we do try to encourage it. We have conciliation here too, but those are usually on our motion day. Like if a judge has a huge docket, they'll have that volunteer attorney saying, I'm making you guys go talk outside because we'll be sitting here for hours. Go talk. But that's it. That's the only time that's really offered is on motion days. Interesting. Yeah. No. And with we have a new thing now called a parenting coordinator for the high conflict parenting cases. Uh They're a PC. There's only like 35 of them in our state. I have one attorney on staff at Wright Family Law Group who is a, a parenting coordinator. But the parenting coordinators serve a vital function because they will work with the parties to try to like iron out issues, hammer things out. And when people can't agree, sometimes the parenting coordinator will just make a binding decision, Mm -hmm. right? Arbiter or judge, you know, this is what you're going to do, do it. So that's another sort of mechanism that helps keep the pipelines at the courthouse clear when people are sort of using a PC and working through the issues that way. Do you guys have anything like that? I haven't had a judge order a parenting coordinator, but I've had people agree to it. So those are still pretty rare and far and few between here. It's not required, but people have agreed because it does help when they're when they're unable to make joint decisions together. Right. Right. Yeah. No. So interesting. Well, listen, I know you're busy. You have a brief due today. I do. Um, so and I have to run. But this was awesome. Thank you so much for joining in and telling us a little bit about the parenting time dynamics and navigating these crazy waters in family court. So, so helpful. Thanks for joining in on the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast. Enjoy the day, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast. Remember, the information shared in our episodes is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. Stay informed. Stay empowered. This is the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast.